Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. Well, I grew up in a really competitive household. Uh, I have an older brother, a younger sister, both my parents. Everywhere we went, uh, we engaged in competition. I played a lot of sports growing up, but also games at home. I mean, just about anything we could turn into a competition, we turn into a competition. And um, in the summers, uh, when I was a teenager, we used to vacation at a place called the Thousand Islands. It, it really is a place. It's not just a salad dressing. Uh, there's a place uh, in the northeast corner of Lake Ontario. I'm making you go back to grade school. Uh, geography, but it's one of the Great Lakes. The, the northeast corner of, of Lake Ontario, there's a river that goes out of the, the St. Lawrence River. And at the mouth of the St. Lawrence River, uh, where it meets Lake Ontario, there's literally thousands of islands. And um, we had some really good friends, the best kind of friends to have. We had friends that owned an island. Isn't that awesome? So they owned an island. It wasn't big. It was just a little over an acre, but they would let us use it for a week in the summer. And so we would go there and, and you know, we had a boat. So we'd take our boat. You could only get there there by boat. We'd go out to the island. We'd stay for the, for the week. And um, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. We, we'd ski and swim and boat and, and fish. And, and me and my brother and my sister, on one, one summer, we were having a fishing competition. Now, me and my brother were teenagers. My, my sister was four years younger than me. So she was in grade school and we're having this fishing competition. It's really me and my brother trying to, you know, fiercely competing. And, and you know, we're catching some smaller fish, but, you know, we're, we're counting the fish and we're trying to catch some bigger ones. All of a sudden, my sister starts catching a lot of fish and she's gone into the boathouse. She's in the boathouse uh, where we normally keep the boat. The boat's outside though. She's, and it's darker in there. She's in the boathouse. And every time she'd catch a fish, she'd call out the number. I mean, and she's like in the teens, like 13, 14, 15. And we're, I'm like, she is at this point, she is killing us, like just destroying us. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I got to go figure out what's going on. So I go in there and she's in the, just as I walk into the boathouse, she catches the fish. She pulls the fish out. My dad's in there helping her, which is first, first thing I should have known. He was in there. She's pulling the fish out pulling them over to him. He's taking it off the hook. And then she puts the hook back in the water. No bait, just the hook back in the water. Another fish. I mean, in seconds that I'm saying there, another fish jumps on her hook. She pulls out of the water. I mean, they're just these little bluegill, but I'm like, I, 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 I was losing my mind because I don't like to lose. So I, I literally looked down in the water and I was delusional at this point. I looked down the water and I yell at the fish. I'm like, it's a hook. Like me and my brother out here with bait, you know, having to bait the hook every time and, and she's, she's crushing us. And so, so it's just sometimes in life, there's just those baffling things like your little sister's crushing you at fishing. And this is the question we've been asking in this series is what's really going on? And in that scenario, it's, it's sort of not dissimilar to things that you experience in your life where you're, you're just like, 
you're baffled by what's happening. The, the things don't add up, especially when things go wrong and you're wondering like, what is going on? Now, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking these weeks, and this is the last time you'll have to see this diagram, at least uh, for a few weeks. Um, we've been talking about the fact that there's two forces in the world. This is what the scriptures teach us, that there's the forces of heaven and hell. And most of us, when we look at the world, we think there's the forces of heaven and hell. And, and again, I, I told you the first week, if, if you're not sure about heaven and hell and are they real physical places, I, I'm not really wanting to debate that. You recognize in the world that there's forces of good or forces for good and forces for evil. And this is what we're talking about, these two things that are, that are battling each other in the world. And, but most of us see this, the world as, you know, the heaven's up there and hell's down there and everything else is in between. But that's not what the scriptures teach. The, the scriptures teach that, that there is two forces, but there's two realms. There is the seen and the unseen realm. But the truth is, is the unseen realm overlaps our world. And there's only one reality. There's these two forces, the forces of heaven and the forces of hell, and they overlap our reality. And these two forces are involved in our world. And you've seen this and you've experienced this. We've seen these two things. And the Apostle Paul, this is what he said. This is what the first verse we looked at, sort of the basis for our series. He said that these two forces, they're constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions or your own good intentions. The, the point we made in week one was these two things are, are powerful forces in the world. And you may think you're governing your life and you, you may think you're making independent decisions, but you're not. What, what the, the scriptures teach is, is that what happens is, is one of these two forces wins out within us. It wins out in our decisions. It wins out in our decisions. And, and the, the truth is, is, is when we make decisions in life, the way we live our lives, we either pull the goodness and the blessings of heaven down into our lives, or we pull the chaos of hell up into our lives. And last week, we talked about the two keys. There were two keys uh, to, to being focused on bringing the goodness of heaven down our lives and keeping from that chaos and that brokenness to come up into our lives. And, and it was these two things right here. In, in Colossians chapter three, it tells us to set your sights on the realities of heaven. That, that to, we're to aim higher. We're to aim towards the ideals, which is hard because we feel like they judge us. But it's, it, the idea is, is, is to not let go of those things, to continue to aim for those things and to strive for those things. And, and God not will only honor that, he'll, he'll empower us to live towards the, the goodness of heaven. And then he gave us, uh, the apostle Paul gave us five specific things to avoid. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and look. Five things to, to sort of put to death in our lives because they're the things that um, we're tempted most to surrender the control of our lives to or to allow to govern our lives as opposed to allowing the realities of heaven and the, the ideals of heaven to govern our lives. Today, I want to conclude our time um, with, with talking about just one thing. The, the thing I want to talk about is the secret weapon of the forces of hell. And that may sound like ominous and a little bit strange to you, but there is a secret weapon and the enemy, as seen in the garden store, he, he's shrewd and he's crafty, but he has a way more sophisticated, and, and, and I want you to think about this, he has a way more sophisticated scheme than just trying to tempt you to believe and behave in ways that lead to brokenness and chaos and destruction in your world. It's, it's more complicated than that. And, and, and in fact, he does it by not just tempting you to do certain things, but by creating a certain environment in your life. The most dangerous temptation is to live our lives or parts of our lives in darkness. And what I mean by that is, is to, to have certain things in our lives that we intentionally hide or we keep in secret. 
which we all, we're all tempted to do. And here's, here's why. The enemy knows that as long as he can keep us in darkness, that we'll fall for the hook. And we'll fall for the hook over and over and over again. That darkness, what it does is it isolates us. It makes it difficult for us to see clearly what's going on. And it makes us an easy target. And the enemy targets us over and over, oftentimes with the same temptations that we fall for over and over and over again. Jesus said, came, he came and said, look, you don't have to live that way. In fact, the darkness keeps you isolated and, and battling alone. You don't, have to, you don't have to battle on your own. In fact, Jesus said there's a way out. And he makes this statement. He makes this statement. I'm gonna put it on the screen in a second. And it's complicated and it, and it has a lot. There's a lot going on. So I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna put this statement in front of us. And then the apostle Paul tries to explain to us what Jesus was talking about. This is what Jesus said when he described himself. He described himself as the way out. He said, I, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. Now, real quick, uh, paralleled with this idea of, of heaven and hell, there, there's the idea of light in, in the world. And again, some of you are even more comfortable with that light or, or goodness in the world. And then there's, there's darkness. And not only does Jesus use this, these terms, but throughout the scriptures, these terms are, are used in lights, a metaphor for truth and knowledge, you know, wisdom, being enlightened to things. And, it, and it's the antidote to darkness. In the very beginning, it was the antidote. There was darkness and chaos in the world. And then God said, let there be light. That was the first thing that broke into the darkness that, that was the antidote to that darkness. And, and darkness throughout the scriptures, it represents ignorance or, or blindness or deception or evil. And so Jesus, off the bat, he's saying, look, there's these two things. And he says, I, I, am, I am actually the true light of the world, which to his first audience, this would have been sort of offensive. Jesus is claiming to replace the Torah. The Torah was seen as the light. The first five books of the Bible or the law of God, the beginnings. That was sort of like, hey, if you want to become enlightened, again, to the, to, the, to the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the Torah was the light. It was known as the light. And Jesus is claiming to replace the Torah as the antidote for how to live in the midst of darkness. And, and then he claims, this is an interesting claim, he claims to be able to give us, you can have this light that leads to life if you'll follow me. Jesus is basically saying, I have the ability to give you this light that you can have it, you can take it into your possession. So the question is like, how do you do that? Like, what does that look like? So many of the first Christians are wondering the same thing. And the Apostle Paul, as they're hearing the words of Jesus, the Apostle Paul sits down in multiple occasions to several different uh, churches. He writes letters. And in multiple of his letters, he addresses this same thing because people are wondering, like, how, what does that look like to follow Jesus um, toward the light or towards the goodness of life? And he tries to unpack this. And if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to unpack some verses beginning in verse 8. And um, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, um, I would love to give you one. If you can't afford one, go to our guest services table. I think... Everybody needs to have a Bible. These, I, there's so much good stuff. You should read your Bible, by the way. I've told you that before. Um, this is what the Apostle Paul says, unpacking this idea, and this is rich. And, and so I'm gonna stretch you a little bit today. I'm gonna ask you to be a bit more thoughtful. He says this, he says, for once, or you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul's using a very unique phrase here. He's basically saying, look, you were formerly in the state of darkness, not just that you were dark or you were bad. You were in the state of darkness. 
You were in the state of blindness. You were, you were not, you were not you know, in the light. You were in the state of darkness, but now you're in the state of light in the Lord. So in Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, um, you, you, you come into this new state of consciousness. In fact, in another one, in 1 Timothy, he talks about this. And he, he basically unpacks this and he says, look, when, when you, you're in Christ, you're, you're awakened to a new reality. You're awake in the Lord and you become enlightened and versus the state of being in darkness or the state of being in blindness. And so this is, um, this is what Paul's saying at first is like, these are two different states in which you live. And those of you who are in Christ, who've chosen to follow Christ, you've placed your faith in Christ. This is what happens. You actually have possession of the light in your life. You have a new level of awareness and, and, and of reality. And it, it sort of changes everything. In fact, I had, had a guy just a couple weeks ago come down front and explain to me. He, he was like, look, I've been coming for a while. I, I, I've been in and around religion. I've been searching a lot of different things. And today... It was like my eyes were open. I told him, I was like, that's exactly what the scripture describes. It's like scales falling from your eyes and you're able to see for the first time. And this is what it says when when we come to faith in Christ. New life comes into us and and we have this new awareness and it sort of changes everything. It changes if if we live in that and we we follow that awareness and that consciousness, it changes everything we do. And some of you've experienced things like this. It's like, you know, once you you realize you could stream TV, it's like you're, you're, you're done with satellite TV. It's like too expensive. It's too complicated. Like you're, you're done with that. You know, you, you, any, any modern convenience for me right now, it's AI, chat GBT. I don't know if anybody's using chat GBT. Um, it took me no time flat to write this sermon because I just plug it all into chat GPT. It's like, I might say, hey, go watch all of these sermons. See what I do with the board. See what this is. Here were the first two parts. Then write the third part for me. Give me the scriptures. And, and it even tells me what to put on the board. In fact, I'm not even here today. I'm at home watching myself online because of AI. Um, when we have a new awareness to something, you, you know this, you've experienced something, whatever it is, you, you, it, it changes things. It changes the way you operate. This is what the apostle Paul's saying. He's saying you have, you have the capacity to new awareness and new levels of consciousness and understanding. So he says, look, so, so live, live that way. Live as people of the light. For this light within you, it produces, it produces only what is good. Only what is good. And what is right and what is true, that's, that's what I want to produce in your life. And you need to live as children. If you'll follow me, you have a new awareness. You have a new understanding. Like, like you don't have any excuses anymore. You, you don't need to make any excuses. You, you can experience what's good and right and true. And there's something unique going on in these verses. He uses the word light twice. The first one, he says, live as people of the light. This, this word in the Greek is the word phos which is the most typical word for light in the scriptures. The second one, it says, for this light, this word here is not false. The word he uses is pneuma. Anybody? Pneuma means spirit. Here's what he's saying. I'm gonna place my spirit in you. It's a supernatural light, a supernatural awareness and consciousness with my spirit in you. If you live according to that light, that light produces what's good and what's right and what's true. So he goes on, he says, so carefully, thoughtfully determine what pleases the Lord. Aim for, this is similar to the realities of heaven. Consider what, what, 
would please the Lord. And, and here's why he says this is, is because what pleases the Lord is what's actually best for you. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and you might have a fullness of life. Another translation says that you might have a rich and satisfying life. So carefully and thoughtfully consider what, what God's guiding you toward and what would please him in your life because that's gonna lead to what's good and what's right and what's true. He goes on, he says, look, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. The, the worthless deeds of darkness. This, this Hebrew word, or this, excuse me, this, this Greek word right here, it means barren. It literally means barren or empty. That the, the deeds of darkness are barren. You, some of you have experienced this. You've lived in the darkness. It's barren, it's empty. Another translation of yours might say fruitless. That, that's, what, that's what the deeds of the darkness do. And, and he says, look, have no part in that. Stay away from those things. You, you, we, we looked at a verse last week. It said, flee, run away from those things. The things that, that are leading you in the wrong direction, the things you're tempted to do that you're tempted to hide when you do them. They're empty and they're barren. They provide no fruit and add no value. They're worthless in your life. It's a warning. He said, instead, instead of taking part, expose them. This is where we all get nervous. He's saying, look, instead of hiding them, uncover them. Uncover those things you're tempted to cover up and hide. And, and there's all sorts of reasons we don't do that. I mean, I, I could give you a whole bunch and, and you've got a whole bunch. And, and as I even say, some of you are thinking in your mind, no, no, no. The thing I'm thinking about, the thing that's going on, the thing that's in secret in my life, the thing that's hidden, a hidden motive or hidden thoughts or a hidden plan or maybe certain behaviors. If I expose or uncover those things, I mean, you don't know what would happen. And you have all sorts of reasons, but he gives us the, 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 the most popular one, the primary one. And here's why. Here's why we don't uncover it. We don't uncover it because it's shameful, isn't it? It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And nobody likes to be called disobedient, but it's like disobedience, like that's not the way God instructed you to go. And, and you're, you're, you're disobeying a good heavenly father who wants what's best for you. He wants to produce the best in your life. And when we do the things that are contrary, it's shameful. And that's ultimately why we choose to hide these things in the dark. And this is, by the way, this was the original response. It was the, it's the most natural response, but it's the original response. You think back to the garden story, the, the original disobedience. When, when the man and the woman disobeyed God, what did they do? They, they went and they covered themselves and they hid. Because that's what we do when we're ashamed. We cover up and we hide. Renowned author Brene Brown, she says this. She says, shame is the most powerful master emotion. That's powerful language. Shame has the ability to be your master, to govern your life. See, guilt says I did something wrong or I failed. Shame says I'm a failure. I'm wrong. I'm bad. We, we fear, one of the reasons we don't bring things into the light is we fear that our failures will define us. They'll define other people's perception of us. They'll, they'll cause other people to see us and define us by the things that we've done wrong, which, 
which is so ironic because in the garden, um, their, their, their eyes were open. They had new consciousness, new awareness to, um, to reality. But what they realized is that they were naked. And then they became fearful and they covered up and they hid. And, and the most instinctive response for all of us related to darkness and a bro- brokenness is to conceal. We want to conceal what's hidden. We want to keep it in secret. We don't want anybody to know because shame, what it does, shame manipulates us. It manipulates you. And you don't realize this, but it's your master. It becomes your master. It's governing you and it's causing you to close your eyes, to close your eyes to reality or to truth. It causes us to live in denial, which, which, is, which is kind of like an intentional unconsciousness. You have this new consciousness, this new awareness in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. But you close your eyes. It's like, it's like you're trying to deny your consciousness. It's this, unten- or this intentional unconsciousness. And this is, this is profoundly important. The Apostle Paul saying the cure to that is the, to the realization that something's wrong or bad and broken is not becoming unconscious of it. This is what we do. We want to deny it. We want to hide it. We think if, if nobody knows, it'll go away. It won't hurt anybody. But that's not what happens. He says, look, look, that's those worthless, fruitless, brokenness, the, the, the barren, empty deeds of darkness, they're gonna pull hell up into your life. They're gonna pull chaos and brokenness up into your life. And, and the antidote is to expose those things. And light's always been the antidote to darkness. It's to expose those things, to increase. Think about this from a psychological perspective. It's to increase your level of consciousness. It's like way more consciousness, way more awareness. Be willing to expose them, bring them to the surface, maybe with some other people, which terrifies us. But it's like, if you had other people to help you figure out and thoroughly investigate and, 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 and courageously look at the naked truth and let the chips fall where they may, but, but to discover like, why is it that you're doing what you're doing? How did you get baited into taking that hook over and over and over. And as long as it's in secret and in darkness, it's going to master you. It's going to govern you. And your shame's going to keep you there. The Apostle Paul says, that, look, instead of concealing, this is what you have to do instead. Confess. This is sort of a lost church idea, sort of an ancient church idea. I mean, people used to go to confession all the time. And to, con- to confess to someone. And we sort of lost the art of that. But this is, what, this is throughout the scriptures. The apostle Paul saying, look, this, this is the, to, instead of concealing, it's to confess, to expose these things. And the reason we don't is shame, but it's also because we bought this lie. And, and the lie we've bought is, is, is that the, the consequences of confession are gonna be way worse than the consequences of concealment. In fact, I learned this from Andy years ago. This is the way he said it. He said, we fear. This is why we stay in darkness. We fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. And we're very aware of the consequences of being exposed. But we've lost sight of the freedom and the peace and wholeness that comes with living in the light. The the freedom of conscious 
the, 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 the idea that, that I don't have to be weighed down anymore by the secrets. I don't have to manage all the other secrets and all the other stories I told to keep this one thing in secret. And it's like, instead of that, I, I'm just going to be radically live in the light and, and, and experience that freedom. And we think if I do that, the consequences of that are way worse than hiding it. I told you a story, some, some of you a story a while back, and it's the best illustration I can give you from my own life and probably the, the, one I'm, I'm, the only one I'm willing to be as vulnerable uh, with at this point and standing in front of a th- several, several thousand people. Um, but I, I, I told you a story about how I was at home. I was on a Thursday. I worked Sunday to Thursday. And it was a particularly difficult week. And we were, we were, my wife and I were preparing dinner and I decided I was going to open a bottle of wine. Well, my wife doesn't drink wine and my kids don't drink wine. And I'm the only one that's going to drink wine in the house. We're not having people over. I would never open a bottle of wine unless we were having like people over just because I don't want to waste it. And I'm not going to drink, I shouldn't drink a whole bottle of wine. And so that's something for the rest of you for later. We don't need to talk about that right now. The, the wine's not the point. The point was when I, when I open the bottle of wine, this is the consciousness I have. This is not me. This is not because I'm good. This is the awareness of the new life of Christ in me. The first thought I had was, so this is how this starts. And I thought, I should say that out loud. Which I sort of thought, well, if I do that, then the next time I open a bottle of wine, my wife's going to think, oh, is this, is this what this, this is? And I just thought, I thought, I'm opening this bottle of wine not because I want it, but because I need it. And I need an escape, and I need, a, I need something to lean on, and I need something to get me through. And is drinking a glass of wine a big deal? No, no. Until, until it is. Until now, I'm drinking regularly in secret and hiding it because I need it to get through and I don't want to be judged and I don't want her to know. And, and then it starts destroying our relationship and our family. And, and now I've ruined my life and you've seen this happen. Confessing to a hidden motive and exposing it, bringing it to the light, it, it broke its power. I, I just think oftentimes we just think this is about like, oh, I got to get caught or I got to let people catch me or I got to tell somebody. Like, forget all that for a second. Just think about this. You need to weigh this. Is your fear of being found out greater than your fear of missing out? I just want you to hear me today. Some of you are missing out on God's best in life because you're so afraid of being found out. When was the last time you considered what you're missing out on because you're over here hiding In darkness, Paul goes on, he says this, look, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And some of you are going, yeah, that's exactly the problem. I don't want it to become visible. I'm trying to keep it in hiding. That sounds terrible, you're thinking, but but think about the hopeful side of this. Everything that gets brought in the light becomes visible. It can be seen. It can be understood better. You you break the power because now I can begin to evaluate it. I I can begin to understand the reality of the circumstances and the situation and the behavior. And it can be seen more clearly by me and by others. And now I can deal with it. I can deal with it properly. And yes, will there be some embarrassment and some, some, some hurt and maybe some brokenness and some disappointment by others? And maybe, maybe there's consequences, but, but now I can be free of that. And it's no longer my master. And now I can see it for what it really is. It's really the enemy tempting me to stay in the darkness, darkness so he can continue to create chaos and brokenness and hell in my life. 
He goes on and there's even a better part of this. He goes, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Have you ever considered that God might have a purpose for the thing that you're hiding in darkness? That's the type of God we serve. He can actually turn that thing that you think is shameful and broken and in dark darkness into a light for somebody else. For some of you, he did that for you. Somebody else went first. They exposed, they told their story. They told their greatest regret. They talked about the thing that they used to keep in secret. And when they brought it into the light, it showed you a way out. It was a light for you to find a way out. God says the same thing about the thing that you're hiding in darkness. When it gets brought into the light, it not only becomes visible, but it becomes a light for somebody else. This is the amazing thing about the church and the community of faith. This is why when we expose these things, this isn't about judging each other. It's about learning what it is to be people of the light, the way of Jesus, to follow in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. And, and to live a life fully exposed and just go, look, I don't, I don't want to have secrets. I don't want to have any secrets. I don't want to have, want to have to have secret passwords. I mean, I'm not talking about protecting your data. I'm talking about like, does every, does somebody have a password to every device you have, to every account you have? Can somebody look into and see everything in your life? Because if not, you're not living fully in the light. There's temptation from the enemy to, to cause you to keep things in darkness. We've been asking this question this series. I'm going to turn it around on you for a second. Here's my question for you. What's really going on? Like in your life, like maybe something's off and, and, and you know it. And maybe it's not even that big at this point. It's not that big a deal. And, and maybe nobody close, close to you knows. This is the time to bring it into the light. You, you, may, you may be ashamed of it. You may feel guilty about it. But I promise that, that, will, that will be fleeting. That'll go away quickly. For others of you, you not only know it, some, some, some people closest to you, the closest people to you in your life, they have a sense of it. And you may even be causing some of those people um, that, that love you and, and that, that have a sense, you're, you're causing them to feel crazy. Which is, which is kind of a form of gaslighting, to be honest with you. You're, you're trying to make them wonder why they would even consider this of you or cause them to think that their thoughts are crazy and that, that they're, they're losing their mind. And, and, and the truth is, 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 is because of that, you're, you're protecting, you're causing more harm and you're protecting this thing in, your, in darkness and it's growing. Only the worst things, mold and fungus, they grow in the dark. And it's growing and the consequences. And if you're on the front end, I'll just say this. It'll never be easier than right now. But that's true of any stage. It seems when it's small and it's just like the bottle of wine thing. And it's like, I should say this out loud. It's easier. And that's why it should become a good practice for you to do that on a regular basis. To expose and to live in the light. But for some of you, something's grown and it's larger. I can promise you though, it's going to continue to grow. And it'll never be easier than right now. As hard as it seems, it's not going to get easier. Some of you can't remember the last time you lived fully in the light. And here's what I want you to know. I'm, I don't say that about judgment. I'm not, I'm not here like, I'm not talking down on you. I want more for you. My question for you is how much longer? How much longer are you going to miss out? Because you're so worried about being found out. 
James, the brother of Jesus, with incredible insight, he says this, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's interesting language. It's, it's, it's ironic because this, this language is exactly what psychologists use. And the reason is, is because secrets make people sick. From a psychological perspective, what cures in therapy, what sets people free, what helps people get better is exposing things that are in darkness. And that's why he uses this language. When, When you gently expose people to things that they've been avoiding or things that they don't wanna see or things they don't wanna be revealed or things that they fear or things that they don't wanna face. I mean, some of you, you're, you're, you're professionals, you know this. When you do that in the right way, in a safe environment, when somebody's voluntarily choosing to allow somebody to expose them to those things. It's how people get better. It's called exposure therapy. And it's somewhat new in our world, but it's a really old idea. This is exactly what James was talking about. When we confess those things to other people, they become visible. We have to face them. And that's how we become healed. Some of you are thinking, you have no idea what this would mean in my life. Do you, know, do you know how difficult this would be? If, if I tell someone, there's going to be massive consequences. And that might be true. But here's the thing. Keeping it a secret will only cause those things to grow exponentially. And, and it's the enemy. The enemy's the one who's dangling that hook in front of you in darkness the hook that you keep taking over and over and over. And he's also the one in this moment who's flooding your mind with all the reasons why you shouldn't do this. All the reasons why you shouldn't expose it. All the reasons why you should continue to conceal it and not confess. But isn't it true? Isn't it true that it's probably only a matter of time? That somewhere somewhere down the road in your life, as you continue to move forward, um, it, it, you, you have two options. You can either decide, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide now that I'm going to confess this to somebody in my life who loves me, who cares about me, who wants the best for me, that'll, that'll walk with me in this before everything comes crashing down. Or you can wait. You can wait till those people and several other people find out later when everything implodes, implodes on you in your life and people you don't know and don't love, that don't love you and don't care about you are watching the train wreck that happens because you continued to, to wrestle with this alone in darkness. The, the truth is, is, is there's two options and it's the same two options we've been talking about since the very beginning. You, you can either live in the light and, and, and expose things that are in darkness. And when you do, what happens is, is you pull the goodness, you pull what's good and right and true down into your life. Or you can continue to conceal. You can continue to allow shame to be your master. And you can conceal the things in darkness. And the truth is, is they will bring brokenness and destruction. Death and destruction is what the, Jesus said the enemy was going to bring into our lives. And I've seen both. I've been doing this a long time. I, I, I could tell you stories of, of two different men, two successful men, both with beautiful families, both with great careers, lots to lose. One chose to confess and 
exposed what was going on in darkness and has limited the losses and preserved his family and is on a good trajectory in life. The other concealed and chose to continue to close his eyes to the reality of what was going on. And he's literally lost it all. He continues to spiral in brokenness. Now, I realize this is a heavy topic. And so I decided um, I needed to finish today in a, in a, in a really unique way. So I'm going to read you a children's story. Is that okay? Um, I need my glasses because I'm getting older. Um, this children's story um, is written by Jack Kent. And I want you to pay attention because I think it's unbelievably profound. The children's story is named, There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. See if you don't think this is true. Billy Bigsby was rather surprised when he woke up one morning and found a dragon in his room. It was a small dragon, about the size of a kitten. The dragon wagged its tail happily when Billy patted its head. But when Billy went downstairs to tell his mother, there's no such thing as a dragon, said Billy's mother. And she said it like she meant it. Billy went back to his room and began to dress. The dragon came close to Billy and wagged its tail, but Billy didn't pat it. If there's no such thing as something, it seems silly to pat it on its head. Billy washed his face and his hands and he went down to breakfast. The dragon went along. It was bigger now, almost the size of a dog. Billy sat down at the table. The dragon sat down on the table. This sort of thing was not usually permitted, but there wasn't much Billy's mother could do about it. She had already said there was no such thing as a dragon. And if there's no such thing, you can't tell tell it to get down off the table. Mother made some pancakes for Billy, but the dragon ate them all. Mother made some more, but the dragon ate those too. Mother kept making pancakes until she ran out of batter. Billy only got one, but he said that's all he really wanted anyway. Billy went upstairs to brush his teeth. Mother started clearing the table. The dragon, who was quite as big as mother by this time, made himself comfortable on the hall rug and went to sleep. By the time Billy came back downstairs, the dragon had grown so much, he filled the hall. Billy had to go around by way of the living room to get to where his mother was. I didn't know dragons grew so fast, said Billy. There's no such thing as a dragon, said mother firmly. Cleaning the downstairs took mother all morning, what with the dragon in the way, and having to climb in and out of the windows to get from room to room. By noon, the dragon filled the house. Its head hung out the front door, its tail hung out the back door, and there wasn't a room in the house that didn't have some part of the dragon in it. When the dragon awoke from his nap, he was hungry. A bakery truck went by. The smell of fresh bread was more than the dragon could resist. The dragon ran down the street after the bakery truck. The house went along, of course, like a a shell on a snail. The mailman was just coming up the path uh, with some mail for the Bigsby's when their house rushed past him and headed down the street. He chased the Bigsby's house for a few blocks, but he couldn't catch it. When Mr. Bigsby came home for lunch, the first thing he noticed was that the house was gone. Luckily, one of the neighbors was able to tell him which way it went. Mr. Bigsby got in his car and he went looking for the house. He studied all the houses on the, on, along his drive. Finally, he saw one that looked familiar. Billy and Mrs. Bigsby were waving from an upstairs window. Mr. Bigsby climbed over the dragon's head onto the porch roof and through the upstairs window. How did this happen, Mr. Bigsby asked. 
It was the dragon, said Billy. There's no such thing, mother started to say, and Billy insisted, there is a dragon, a very big dragon. And Billy patted the dragon on its head. The dragon wagged its tail happily. Then even faster than it had grown, the dragon started to get smaller. Soon, after acknowledging the dragon, the dragon was kitten size again. Truth is, is there is such thing as dragons. I just think they need to be noticed. The great Christian writer and Christian apologist, G.K. Chesterton, he penned these words. He said, fairy tales are more than true. Not because they tell us dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's in darkness. I don't know what you're hiding. I don't know how big or small it is. But I know it's scary to bring things into the light. And and no matter what you're facing in darkness, I want you to know it can be overcome by the light. That's what the scriptures say. The the light has overcome the darkness. There's something more powerful than guilt and shame. It's the gospel message. It's the heart of the gospel message. It's the heart of the good news. The heart of the good news is a heavenly father who sent his son and he looked down and he said, I see you. I see all of you. I see where you've been, what you've done, where you've come from. And I'm not afraid of any of it. I still want to be near you. I want more for you. I have so much more for you in your life. Would you trust me? Would you come follow me? Jesus said, I am the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the light of the world and you don't have to live in darkness anymore. God's grace and his mercy, they set us free from the power of guilt and shame. Once you're forgiven, your failures no longer define you. Past, present, or future. You're defined by Jesus and his righteousness. And what's true about you is what God says about you. Not about what your behavior says about you, what your past says about you, what your current circumstances say about you, or what in secret you might think would say about you. God says you're mine. You're righteous, you're holy, you're my son, you're my daughter. Come out of hiding. There's no reason. There's no reason for you to stay and allow the chaos and brokenness of hell to pull up into your life. Let me pray for you. A spirit of prayer in just a minute, we're gonna... We're going to sing a song. Actually, we're just going to have a song sung over us. And I want you to think as Kara comes to sing the song, for some of you, what's the next right step for you? I don't know how big or small the thing you're dealing with is, but I know that the light, the light will extinguish whatever darkness you're facing. I know that living in the light is better. I know you're terrified of being found out or somebody finding out, but you're missing out on God's best for you. Some of you, you you, you need to text somebody. 
the end of the service, everybody's going to pull out their phone. So don't worry about somebody thinking you're texting. Everybody's going to pull out their phone. Text somebody and say, I need to talk. Some of you, you know the person you need to talk to. You need to go see him today. I know you've got a Super Bowl party to go to. It's not as important. I don't, I don't, I don't know what your next right step is, but here's what I know is, is if you place your faith in Christ, you have a new awareness and consciousness and he'll guide you in it. For some of you, the conversation that needs to happen is with someone on the ride home today. And here's what I know is that God will be with you and he'll guide you. God, I just pray today you help somebody who's here to know, to know what their next right step is and that you'd guide them in that. You'd guide them in all truth. You'd help them to, to, uh, to unveil and to uncover the reality of the truth so that they can walk in the truth. They can walk in wholeness and they can experience what is good and what is right and what is true. And then I pray that you give them the courage to just take the next right step, just the first one, and you meet them with your faithfulness in the midst of that. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.